May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from Ephesians. We're on an Ephesians run lately. Big idea is to walk wisely. We must know what God wants us to be and how to get there. To walk wisely, we must know what God wants us to be and how to get there. When Paul uses the word walk, he means how are you living your life? And it's really just three verses this morning, 15 through 17 of chapter 5, and it reads, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're actually born into a state of foolishness because we have a sin nature. Proverbs says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but children are not especially wise. They don't always think things through, seeing how things might turn out if they do something, one thing or another. They're just born that way. They're impulsive. They don't, they don't think ahead. And many times we grow up that way, and there are people that continue to act that way, unfortunately. You're not a fool just because you have done something foolish. That's good news. Is there anyone here who has never done anything foolish? Raise your hand. That would be considered foolish, by the way, just so you... That would be the first thing you ever did that was foolish. You are not a fool just because you have done something foolish, only if the folly of it escapes you. Only if when you do something foolish, you don't get it. You don't see it as foolish. That's foolish. Hopefully, when people do something foolish, they recognize it. Or when they're told it's foolish, they accept it in humility and try to change things going forward. The opposite of wisdom is folly, meaning the short-term self-indulgence which marks out the person who doesn't think about long-term priorities and goals but lives on a day-to-day basis asking, what is the most fun thing to do now? Because it's all about getting, squeezing you know, the orange, getting the most out of life. You only go around once, grab all the gusto you can. Don't worry about tomorrow, live for today. When I was in school in Wisconsin, Madison, University of Wisconsin, back in those days in the 60s, if you graduated from high school in Wisconsin and you had a 75 average, you could go, you could go to a state school. You could get into the university system somewhere. And we always had a bunch of, there were always a bunch of uh, new guys coming in, new kids coming in from Wisconsin, and they might last a semester, maybe two, because they really had a good time. That was their whole purpose, to have a good time. I'm not sure that the purpose was to get a degree, although maybe some of them thought, I can have a good time and get a degree, but that didn't work out well. But they were doing these foolish things of, of staying up out late and, not make, and skipping classes and failing exams, but the behavior didn't change. It just kept you know, day after day, week after week, month after month. And so you had an expected outcome of that, have a nice life on the farm, 
And, you know, they, un they didn't understand the consequence of what they were doing. Now, the Bible says a fool is someone who exists apart from God. They act as if God doesn't exist. Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none that do good. In a practical sense, they're atheists. I live my life as if there is no God. Because to the fool, the things of God are foolishness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When you're not tuned into God, it is very difficult to hear or respond to or react to the Holy Spirit. You're just kind of doing things on your own. You're making it up as you go along. A fool creates his own God. See, we all worship something, right? Now, the God can be yourself, the God can be wealth, the God can be health, the God can be the government, the God can be your profession, the God can be your nation, the God can be your political party, whatever it is, you're going to worship something. I remember um, last week at 8 o'clock we had uh, Merritt and uh, Ryan Four were here with their daughters, Elise and Ava. Now, Elise is about, she's going to be a, a sophomore at uh, UF, and Ava is going to be a junior at, uh, I think, TC. And it hit me years ago, I was preaching on, on idols, and we were over at Living Waters, and Ava was three years old. And I walked down into the congregation, and I picked her up, and I walked up, and I put her on the altar. The gasp from the congregation was quite something, with this little three-year-old sitting on the altar in front of the veiled chalice. And I said, some people worship they're children. They worship their children. Their children, something, I'm just going to say, something is on your altar. Something is. I'm hoping it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if it isn't, you need to change what's on your altar because that's what you worship. You ever go to somebody's house and you say, well, where are we going to go to dinner? I don't know. Well, let's, let's see what Mary Lou wants. Well, Mary Lou is five. I don't really care what Mary Lou thinks. But Mary Lou says, I want to get it. And then that's all, that's all you need to know. You know, she's on the altar. When you're in that situation, you're the one who gets to make up the rules. You determine right from wrong. It is the ultimate in moral relativism. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. The problem is that the litmus test for that kind of thinking is this, and it's very bottom line. Does this action, does this decision benefit me? If it benefits me, it's right. If it doesn't benefit me, it's wrong. So from that standpoint, somebody considering something that would be a sacrificial act whereby you don't benefit one way or another, that would be wrong. We're not going to do that because I'm not benefiting from it. But if there's something that I can do that benefits me, even though it's wrong or it hurts people, it doesn't really matter because I'm getting ahead. 
I'm benefiting. I think the ultimate in this is the cartels down on the southern border right now that are trafficking children, women, drugs, um, you name it. And they're making a ton of money, they're benefiting from it, and they could care less about the lives that they're destroying. It doesn't matter to them. They're godless, acting in this kind of a, living in this fool's paradise. Ultimately, there will be a price to pay for them. Because in the end, there's only two kinds of people, the saved and the lost. And my heart goes out to them, and I want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to salvation in Jesus. Be reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the end, people will either spend eternity with God or be separated from God for eternity. And the Bible says that road is narrow. And we need to be on it. So people who don't have God as God really live their lives in a very self-serving way. And it's sad and it's unhappy and it usually does not end well. Proverbs 1.7 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The difference is we actually try to live by divine standards. And a wise person is one who lives in accordance with God's principles according to his word, the Bible. God has given us his word. He has told us how he wants us to live. He told us what works. And this is what you need to do. This is what you need to believe, how you need to act, react. And this is what you are to avoid. Don't do these things. It's a practical guide to healthy living, godly living, ways that that um, are big, help us to be fruitful in life. Wisdom isn't just head knowledge. It's, it's the biblical application of knowledge. I know lots of smart people that aren't very wise. You know? Um, they write articles in newspapers. Some even write letters to the editor, probably. They teach our children in the university. They have a lot of head knowledge. They're very smart people, but they're not very wise people. Experience comes from what we have done. Wisdom comes from what we have done badly. Am I a person who learns by my mistakes? Or do I blame it on other people? Do I realize my part in that? Do I, let's see, oh, Holy Spirit moment. Ah. When I make a mistake, do I admit it? Am I big enough to admit it? You know? And do I listen to the people in my life who really care about me when they're telling me, bad idea, wrong, don't do that again? A wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. A fool learns by nobody's experience. You just keep doing the same thing over and over. What do they call insanity? Repeating the same thing over and over, expecting a different outcome. There's not going to be a different outcome. It's the, same, it's, it's the same action, and it's always going to result in the same thing. We know there's a God, and we have a biblical worldview. In Christ the King, we, we, we preach a biblical worldview. This is God's word. 
It is authoritative for God's people. This is how he wants us to live our lives. This is how the world was created. This is how the world operates. And when you believe that, you are swimming upstream in this culture. Right now, you are going against the grain in so many different ways, whether it's in the education system, the media, social, social um, what do you call it, social network, social, what do you call it, social media, I'm sorry, yeah, social media. Um, when you have a godly view, a biblical worldview as you go forward in life, you're, you're just on the outside looking in, you know. Lately, uh, the president of Argentina has just, there's a law now in Argentina where on your passport or your, or your driver's license, you can put male, female, or X. I'm neither male nor female. Well, you are, by the way, a boy or a girl. You just don't want to admit it. You don't want to live that way. But that's okay. That's the law now. If I ask, don't stand up, but if I ask, if any of you ever nursed a baby, some of you have nursed a baby. If I asked you to stand up, no men would get up because no man has ever nursed a baby. You know what they used to call that? I say used to call that breastfeeding. Hmm. You know what the new term is now? Chest feeding. Chest feeding. If you say breastfeeding, no, 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 no. All right. If I were to ask how many of you have been pregnant, stand up. There would be no men standing up. You know why? Because men can't have babies. But the term pregnant women is also now, the term now is pregnant people. Pregnant people. See, God made the male and female. I know I sound like a broken record, but these new things kind of pop up. And my point here is that when you have a biblical worldview and it's male and female and this stuff makes sense, you're an outsider. But we got to hold, stand up, hold fast, stay strong, and, you know, in a, in a godly way, stick to what we know. There are now doctors who deliver children who don't know if they're boys or girls. We're going to let the child decide whether they're a boy or a girl later on in life. I, I can tell. So can you. But that's politically incorrect these days. That's what I mean. Um, if you have a biblical worldview in so many different areas and so many different things, you're kind of an outsider in our culture today. Didn't used to be this way. I didn't grow up in a culture like that, but now it's changing. So we gotta we gotta, you know, know what we believe, why we believe it, and be able to articulate it. The world itself it cannot walk humbly or in unity. It uses division and differences, I think, in very unhealthy ways. It uses division in very unhealthy ways. You you you've heard of critical race theory where you divide up your group into white and minority, and it's this is the oppressor and the oppressed. That is a very ungodly, unbiblical way to look at life. We are, we are all children of God. My identity is not white. My, my core identity is I'm a child of God. I'm all these other things. You know, I'm a white male American. But my core identity is 
I'm a child of God. Some in the world want to put just people in groups, and that's all I need to know about you. If you're in that group, then I know everything about you. I don't need to know you as an individual. God sees us as individuals. We need to see each other as individuals. We need to celebrate our differences. I love that. But, you know, there's another thing that's sort of out of vogue in fashion these days, and that's assimilation. When you come into America, um, we don't want you to become an American. You've got to stick with what you came with. I'm reminded of something called Nationality Days in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. When we were in seminary, they would clear out the, uh, close down the main street, Merchant Street, once a year. There were so many ethnic groups in Ambridge. We had nine different Orthodox churches. We had a Serbio-Croatian, Russian, Greek, the whole thing. We had Greeks, we had Russians, we had Italians, we had the Vietnamese, all these different ethnicities. And they would set up booths along in the main street. And they would wear their native dress and they would play their native music and they would serve the native food and they would do the native dance. And it was amazing and wonderful and everybody had a great time. And they celebrated their heritage, but they were all Americans. You know, that was the thing that, that united them. The thing that unites us is, is we're all children of God. We may come from different backgrounds. We may look different. We may have, but we're all children of God, individuals, not just a member of a group. The wise person knows how God wants us to live. He says, be, be aware of the time. Use your time well. Because we have a finite amount of time, and we need to make the most of it. Don't squander it. I was reading the other day about how many how hours a day different age groups of people spend on the screen, whether it's a computer, an iPad, or a phone. And the least amount of time was like three and a half hours on the phone. The maximum amount of time was like 12. 12 hours a day on a screen of one form or another. Probably not in this group as much, but younger groups maybe they do constantly checking to make sure that I haven't missed something uh, along, along those lines. Making the most of the time that we have. Time is finite. When he says redeem the time, it means to buy back. And the word for time there is not chronos. chronos there's two words in Greek for time. Chronos means um, what time is it? Chrono chronology. Chronometer. You know, what time is it? It's just your, your watch. The word here is kairos. It means opportunity. Look for the opportunities that God is sending your way, and are you making the most of them? Are you taking advantage of them as you encounter them in your daily, day-to-day -day life? Some of them can be very unexpected. Somebody walks into your office or through the door, and you don't expect them, and something comes up, and you have an opportunity to minister to them. I'll brag on my granddaughter. The other night, Lily's seven and, and Fiona's five and they share a room. And the other night, Fiona woke up from a bad dream and Lily went over and prayed for her and she went back to sleep. She's seven. Nobody told her to do that, but that's who she is. That's who she's becoming as a child of God, you know. It just blesses your heart to see that kind of thing. 
so we're, we're to walk carefully, redeeming the time. He says, because the days are evil. Let me, talk, let me say something about time. If you had a bank that credited your account each morning with $86,000 that carried over no balance from, the day, from day to day, allowed you to keep no cash in your account, and every evening canceled whatever part of the amount you failed to use during the day, what would you do? Draw out every cent every day, of course, and use it to your advantage. Well, you do have such a bank account. Its name is time. Every morning it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Every night it rules off as lost whatever of this you failed to invest to good purpose. It carries over no balances. It allows no overdrafts. Each day it opens a new account with you. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There's no going back. There's no drawing against tomorrow. Today really is all we have, and we need to make the most of the time that God has given us today. We never know how much time we have left. We think we do. We think we're all going to wake up tomorrow because we've always awakened the next day. But you never know when that will end. And am I using the time that God has given me to best advantage for, for his kingdom? He says the days are evil. And the way I define evil is evil cares not for the truth and is motivated by self-interest. I think that characterizes a lot of our world today, people acting out of self-interest to convince me of one thing or another, but in the end it's not true. And my, my question and my, my cry there is just tell me the truth. I'm a big boy. I can handle the truth. Tell me the truth so I know which way to go and what decision to make and how best to live my life in a godly way. So the question in two is, you know, who can you trust? That's, I just wish you could trust everybody, but it turns out you can't. So that's when we have to be discerning. Do some investigation. Talk to other people that know about whatever it is we're, we're, we're dealing with, okay? And not just accept at face value those things that are coming at us and making decisions based on that information. Check it out. I wish we didn't have to do that, but we're living in a world in which we do because the days are evil care not for the truth, and they're motivated in many ways by self-interest. The story is told of a farmer in a Midwestern state who had a strong disdain for religious things. As he plowed his field on Sunday morning, he would shake his fist at the church people who passed on their way to worship. October came, and the farmer had his finest crop ever, the best in the entire county. When the harvest was complete, he placed an advertisement in the local paper which belittled the Christians for their faith in God. And near the end of his diatribe, he wrote, Faith in God must not mean much if someone like me can prosper. The response from the Christians in the community was quiet and polite. In the next edition of the town paper, a small ad appeared. It read simply, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. There's a reckoning coming. There'll be a reckoning coming for people that have that have acted in this way. And it, I don't know when it will come, but God always settles his accounts in his way, in his time. And then it says, I'm also supposed to know the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is, is fairly clear. He wants us to be saved, spirit-filled, and sanctified. He wants us to be reconciled with the Father through his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be spirit-filled people who will spend eternity with him 
He wants us to be our representatives here in this life while we live on this earth, as we move about in our day-to-day life, interacting with people. And also he wants us to be sanctified. Sanctified means set apart for the purposes of God. He wants us to be made holy, and I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care if you're retired. I don't care if you're young or old, if you're healthy, if you're sick. He wants us to be set apart for the purposes of God and act for him. You know, People can act. One of the things we can all do is pray. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be mobile. You don't have to live in a certain house. We can just pray. We can pray for the things of God. We can pray as the Spirit leads us to pray, making the most of the time that God has given us. So those are the things that lead to wisdom. I want to end by saying that these are challenging times. No matter what happens today, the promises of God will still be true tomorrow. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. There is no rock like our God. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. If God is for us, who can be against us? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And this is how we should live in light of these magnificent promises of God. Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So be encouraged. Let not your hearts be troubled. Watch your step. Redeem the time. Seek to do God's will every day. Seize the day for God.
All we have is today. Seize the day for God.